Good morning, church family. I'm very excited to preach this message this morning um, because I believe that this is a super important and a timely message that the church needs to hear, and really the society as a whole would do well to listen to. Um, I will tell you this, um, if you don't come here often, or if you, uh, and sorry, for, for the, I wasn't looking at you, I was looking at the guy behind you, just so you know, you're like, what, is he looking at me? No, um, my, my friend JJ back there, raise your hand, JJ, that guy's awesome. Uh, he has his own church, but he comes every once in a while just because we're awesome, so there you go. Um, no, I'm just kidding, but, if, but if, you're, if you haven't been here a lot, and you're like, whoa, this is really intense, because I'm not, I'm not going to lie, this is an extremely intense message today, and if, it's something that flies in the face of most of what you would think of as modern psychological expression today. So um, just be ready. Be ready, okay? So uh, if, if that's something that you're like, okay, if it's going to be intense, yeah, it pretty much always is <laughs> here, but that's all right. Um, I'm just really looking forward to this. Some of you are probably going to wonder if you really need to hear this message today because you're like, you know, hey, I don't have kids or maybe my kids are already grown up. But listen, that is not a good reason to check out. Um, if, you're, if your kids have kids, or they might have kids someday, uh, then, then you're probably, or if you know someone that has kids that's maybe having a hard time raising them, I encourage you to listen carefully so that you can offer godly advice to those people that are in that phase of life, or, or, uh, or maybe point them to our podcast if you're like, ah, there's too much there, I'm not going to remember any of it. Um, you know, you can find our stuff, it's online, www. I'm telling, like the people online don't know, you're already there, um, <laughs> www. Crossroadchristian.org, uh, easy to find our, our podcasts and whatnot. So um, while the kids are finding the bingo pictures that are hidden in this next slide, I want to give you guys kind of a little bit of an explanation as to how this sermon will go. Um, we are going to open with, um, with a verse of scripture. It's going to be familiar if any of you were here during the, the sermon on biblical masculinity, um, but it's, it's also, I, I feel like there's a powerful message in this scripture that we're going to use this morning, and it's really, um, it, it explicitly tells parents, and especially fathers, two important things that we're supposed to do for our children, okay? And then we're going to dissect each of them in turn. We're going to try to understand why they're so important using other scriptures and using Old Testament examples to give us insight. Now, sometimes um, I think people are tempted to go, hey, we're New Testament Christians, so why do we bother with the Old Testament? Um, it's true that we are New Testament Christians, but bear in mind, the Old Testament is the testament that Jesus read and loved and that Jesus preached from often. Uh, Jesus, you know, took things a step further. He said, you've heard it was said, do not murder. I tell you, do not hate your brother. You've heard it was said, do not commit adultery. I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman with a purpose of lusting is committing adultery in their heart. So he does take things even further than the Old Testament. But I want to remind you, the Old Testament is the basis for the New Testament. So bear that in mind today. Um, I don't want anybody to go, oh, we're using an awful lot of the Old Testament. Yeah, we are. It's because it's timeless truth. So uh, lost my place, and that's okay. Um, really, it, it, it's my hope and prayer that this really gives us a lot of insight and that every person here in this room, whether you're a parent or not, that you will learn something today that you can carry over into your daily walk. Uh, and then if you have any questions or comments, um, snide remarks, whatever, I don't care. Come to me afterwards. You can email me. Um, you know, I, I would love to, to talk with you about this if you have questions about it. There's a lot of stuff here that, um, that honestly, there's, there's, I've, I told somebody this yesterday. There are things in the Bible that I struggle with. I want you all to know that. 
as your pastor. There are things in the Bible that I struggle with, okay? Not because I don't believe they're true, but because I'm a sinful human being. And so there's things about God's character that I struggle with because I go, that's not how I would do it. <laughs> and well, guess what? I'm not God, right? And amen. And, and neither are you, okay? Neither are you. So if there's something that you disagree with, just bear in mind, hey, this is the word of God. And if you're like, I, I'm struggling with this, I want to talk to somebody about it, holla. Okay, so uh, if you have uh, anything else that you want to do, you can also talk to, to Craig. You can talk to, because Craig knows all. Um, no, I'm kidding. Uh, but he knows, he knows a lot. He knows a lot. You can talk to Danny. You can talk to Dave, who's not here this morning. But um, I realize some of what you're going to hear today is pretty controversial in American culture. Um, and that's all the more reason, I think, to preach on it. So anyway, uh, let's take a quick moment. We'll ask for the Lord's guidance. Father God, I just pray in Jesus' name for each person here, Father, that you open our hearts and minds to be receptive to your word. Lord, I, I, know, that, um, I know that I'm a very, very flawed human being, and there's things I struggle with sometimes when I read it, but I know also, Father, that you are perfect, that your wisdom is perfect, and I believe that you give us uh, an amazing really a manual for how to live, as well as a love letter, and I thank you for your word, and I pray that right now, as your word is, is being scattered out on the different soils, I pray, Father, that you'll make us all good soil, so that this word will take root and bear fruit for your kingdom, and I, I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you would, please turn in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs, okay? Turn your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. It's just past the middle, if you're not real familiar with, uh, with your Bible's books yet, and then I want you to put your thumb there as a bookmark, because we're going to spend a lot of time there, but for now, I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 6, okay? So put your thumb there, and then go to Ephesians chapter 6. This is the end of uh, the last chapter of Ephesians, and we're going to look at verse 4. That's where we're going to be focusing, kind of honing in, and I find this to be a very interesting sentence, especially on the heels of the previous Three verses which instruct children to obey their parents and tells them why to obey their parents. But we're going to get into that next week, by the way. So if anybody's, oh, how does that, why are we skipping that? Because we're not, okay? Next week, we're going to actually, you kids, a lot of the sermon's going to be for you. So not only do you have to be here and stay awake, but just know I'm going to be talking to you next week. So uh, bear that in mind. Um, so we talked a few weeks ago about the first part of this passage. I'm going to read it real quick. It's verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And we talked about how it is necessary, it is imperative for godly men to practice self-control, especially when it comes to the area of our tempers, and to, to not push our children into anger. Okay, to not just, just exasperate them on purpose. That's not what we're supposed to do, which I realize is hard. I'm a dad joke guy, okay? I get it. Uh, and sometimes it, you just want to irritate your children. Try not to, okay? Especially when it comes to a point where they're actually getting angry. Um, but I want to talk about the positive command in this verse today, which is to bring up children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So if you're a parent, particularly if you're a father, then apart from meeting your children's physical needs, your primary spiritual, emotional, and psychological duty for your kids in the life of your child, in the life of your children, is to provide discipline and instruction to them. Discipline and instruction in the Lord. He is the anchor. The Lord is the anchor 
of those two things. So to quickly define these two words, discipline means either what is done uh, to instill good things in a person or what is done to root out the bad things in a person. In a positive sense, you might think of uh, the original Rocky movie, right, where Stallone gets up at like, what is it, like 4 a.m., and he drinks a bunch of eggs, which is just gross, and then he goes for a run, you know, I mean, that, that's when you think of discipline in, in the positive sense, you think of, of, of buffeting your body, not buffeting, keep that in mind, buffeting your body, right? So, but in the negative sense, um, you might think of punishment used as, as like negative reinforcement to keep a person from doing something that they shouldn't do again, okay? So instruction, now that's a lot easier to define. It quite literally just means teaching, right? Now, one of the, one of the best, the best books in the Bible, I think, to discuss either of these subjects, discipline or instruction, has got to be that beautiful wisdom literature book that's sandwiched in between Psalms and Ecclesiastes, and that is the book of Proverbs. Now, I do not think that it is mere coincidence that Proverbs has 31 chapters, and most of the months of the year have 31 days. Proverbs is a book that can be drunk very deeply from, simply by reading a chapter a day for a year. In fact, I think Jonathan's been reading the book of Proverbs for like three years now. Um, Josh has been, was reading it for a while now. Josh, I'll tell you, the other day, I think Wyatt and I were having a discussion. I don't know where you went. There he is over there. I think we were having a discussion about like which king it was. That it was Adonijah, which actually, we're getting to that story later. But we were talking about one of the Old Testament kings and I was like, no, no, it's Amnon. And I was like, no, wait, no, it's not Amnon. It's, no, it's this one. And Josh was like, it's Adonijah. <laughs> My 15-year-old knew this obscure king. It was awesome. Um, and uh, so I'm, I'm going to brag on him, and I'm going to brag on Jonathan really quickly because it's really funny. So we were on a family vacation a while back, and, uh, and this is when he'd only been reading Proverbs for a few months. And uh, so he's about, I don't know, 10 or 11. And, and one, my, my cousin, who's always nitpicking his wife, Tim, I hope you watch this. Um, my cousin is always picking on his wife, and one day uh, he he was he was just kind of he just kept poking at her and poking at her, and this was one with a bunch of people in the room, and she she goes stop, and he says, you know, what, you know, you know how guys are, and and she goes stop correcting me, and Jonathan was just walking by behind her, and he goes, doesn't the Bible say something about a fool hates correction, and. <laughs> and and she said, what? <laughs> and everybody in the room lost it. And she even cracked up because it was funny. Um, so anyway, so uh, in fact, there, there's, there is one very specific verse in Proverbs that is often treated as prescriptive rather than predictive, meaning it's read like it's a promise instead of being read as a general rule, which is how wisdom literature is intended to be read. Okay? And that has to do with teaching a child. Does anyone know what verse I'm referring to? Teach a child or bring up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Okay? That's, uh, I think that's NIV I just quoted. It's a little different in the ESV, and we're going to look at that in a minute. But, but yes, that passage is extremely famous, and a lot of times people view that as a promise. So well, if I raise my child in church, or if I do this, and that, then, then that means they'll never turn away from it. Clearly, that's not how that is intended to be read. In fact, it literally says, bring up a child or train up a child in his way. 
which is interesting. A lot of different ways to interpret that. But um, I'd like you guys to, to listen. This is how it's translated in the literal standard version, which is a lot more accurate uh, than a lot of them that are out there right now. Um, give instruction to a youth about his way. Even when he is old, he does not turn from it. Give a youth instruction or give instruction to a youth about his way. Even when he is old, he does not turn from it. Now, again, I want to reiterate, this is not intended as a promise. This is not automatically the case 100% of the time, but it is true as a general rule, okay? The parents of children, all parents of their children, have immense influence in their lives when it comes to, to, to the morality or, uh, or even the correct way to do things, you know? Um, when you put up the Christmas tree or whatever, you know, you have these discussions about that. A whole lot of that stuff sticks with kids, even when they grow up into adulthood, even when they raise their own families. A lot of what you taught them remains with them. But the book of Proverbs doesn't just throw that verse out in a vacuum, okay? In fact, it helps us, it helps us with how to instill those values in the first place, and I'm going to give you a hint. It is not by appealing to the logic and reason of a toddler, Okay? just in case that's something you thought might work. If you've had a toddler, you know better. Only a few verses later, in the same chapter, we read, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline puts it far from him. Now, what does that mean? All right, I got a question. How many of you in this room were born after 1946? Just about everybody, okay? I think pretty much everybody here was born after 1946. What happened in 1946? It's the beginning of something. Anybody remember what? True. What? Thank you. That's my oldest, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. <laughs> The baby boom, 1946 to 1964. It was the year after the end of World War II, and it was the largest generation that has ever, the, the, when I say biggest, I'm not making fun of y'all. Uh, I'm saying it was the, the largest number of people, okay, to ever be born in a single generation in the United States. <clears throat> it's a good number. So, yep, well, 18 years. Your generation was among the first in the United States that grew up in a culture that considered any option other than corporal punishment. Now, what's corporal punishment? It's a whooping, <laughs> right? It's, okay, so spanking, swatting, it, you know, it's a whooping, okay? And so, often with an implement, some of you probably, your, your folks used a belt, wooden paddle, fly swatter. Maybe a switch. If you grew up uh, far enough south, maybe a chonkla, you know. Um, but what? Steel chair. Okay, we're not WWF, okay, or whatever. No. <laughs> My childhood nemesis was a wooden spoon that stayed up on top of the fridge. That was where he lived. Um, spanking children, especially for intentional rebellion, is biblical when it's done appropriately. Okay? And by that, I mean judiciously. It means not in anger. And it's for correction as opposed to just punishment. Okay? You don't do it because you're mad. Okay? The Bible clearly states right there in that verse that spanking a child drives out foolishness. 
Now, if you attend a Bible-believing church today, first of all, that is by the grace of God. But it's also highly likely that your attendance has something to do with the fact that you had a parent that wasn't afraid to whoop your hiney when you got a little too big for your britches. Can I get an amen? amen? I think that's probably the case, okay? But you also may be part of a dying breed. In 1946, at the beginning of the largest generation that was ever produced in America, Dr. Spock wrote a little book. Now, before you get confused, not Mr. Spock, okay? Dr. Benjamin Spock, not the Vulcan. He was, a, he was a pediatrician, and he was a leftist activist, and he wrote a book called The Common Sense Book of Baby and Child Care, okay? And that contributed highly to America's great moral decline. You see, Dr. Spock didn't believe in corporal punishment. And his views contradicted the Bible when it comes to how to discipline children. And we are living right now in the fifth generation of Americans that have increasingly grown up in households that do not spank. I remember, I'm not going to give names, but I remember a, a family that lived next door to us long, long ago. No, it's not them. <laughs> long, long ago. <laughs> and um, they, they, were actually, they were actually part of the, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And they had several more kids when they moved out than when they moved in. But anyway, so um, they had this one little boy that was outside, and his parents, his mom kept saying, um, I almost said his name. His, his mom kept saying, so-and-so, come in. He was like, no. He was just swinging on the swing set. Come on. Come inside. No, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go in. You better be in here in two seconds. No. Swing, swing. So I lean over the fence, and I go, hey, man, you ought to go inside. You know, they might spank you. And he goes, they don't spank. And just kept <laughs> swinging back and forth. And I said, whoa. And I thought, well, they, they believe in a different Jesus. But I was like, well, you know, let me appeal to his faith. I said, don't you think Jesus would want you to obey your parents? And he goes, we all do bad things sometimes. <laughs> that kid was about seven. Um, there is a, an inherent danger to not doing what the Bible teaches. You want proof that the rod of discipline drives out foolishness? Look around you, and I don't mean in this room, I mean in our culture, in our society. What has happened through five consecutive generations of weaker discipline in line with the secular world? And yet still there are people who believe that loving their child means never engaging in the tough act of discipline. Well, God's word disagrees. In fact, Proverbs 12, or excuse me, 13:24 says, "Whoever is sparing the rod is hating his son, and whoever is loving him has hurried his discipline." Now, he's not talking about love and hate like warm fuzzy emotions versus cold prickly emotions. He is talking about actions that are either beneficial to a child or detrimental to the child. Refusing to administer appropriate discipline is hating your child, according to Scripture. And we learn the reason for that. It's implied in, in Proverbs 19, 18. It says, discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. Now, how does that go together? Something actually popped into my head while I was saying this just now. Do you remember in the Old Testament, there was a law that uh, thankfully has not carried over. We'll talk about that another time. But there was a law that if a child was rebellious, the parents were to bring him before the the leaders of the, of the people, and he would be stoned. Which again, thankfully, we don't do that now, right? Um, but 
He's saying instead of getting him to the place where he's grown up and he's completely rebellious and he has no, you know, he says, don't get him to, to that point. Discipline him when he's younger. Okay, so I want you to go a few chapters up. Go to Proverbs 23, okay? Flip, flip there, flip there. I want to see somebody flipping. Flip there, okay, so go to Proverbs 23 and read verse 13. It says, do not withhold discipline from a youth. When you, this sounds so awful, but this is how the Hebrew goes. When you strike him with a rod, he does not die. It's like, I didn't die. That sounds pretty flippant, right? Until you look at the next verse. He finishes the thought. He says, you strike him with a rod and you deliver his soul from Sheol. Guys, Sheol means death. It is a euphemism that literally meant the place of the dead. So disciplining your child when he is young may save him from death or worse. You say, well, what can be worse than death? Oh, you know. Appropriate discipline actually guards his life rather than endangering it. Now, again, this flies in the face of nearly everything that you're going to see or read in the academic community today, okay? If you do a Google search, I, and I did this, I was like, you know, uh, and be careful when asking, anyway. I did a Google search um, about whether spanking your child is okay, and it, one of the first results in almost any way you word the search is a guy in psychology today, the title of the article proclaims, the spanking debate is over. Yeah, I would have said it was over back when the Proverbs were written, but he says the spanking debate is over. He claims it's harmful to children, while the Bible claims that not spanking is harmful to children. Are you surprised? Of course not, because the spirit of the world always contradicts the truth of God. But, but the question is, which are you going to show that you believe by the way that you raise your children? And I want us to look at a couple of examples in Scripture, okay? A guy named Eli. We're actually going to talk a little bit about Eli and Samuel next week, but Eli was a high priest in Israel during the time of the judges, okay? He ended up essentially being uh, the prophet Samuel's adoptive father. It's a really cool story. Go read 1 Samuel 1 if you want to learn more about that. But he, he already had, Eli had this adopted son, essentially, but he already had two sons that were just scuzzbuckets, okay? And the Bible says, it, it refers to them as worthless men. It says they did not know the Lord, which is very sad considering they would have been serving as priests right alongside their, their father, right? Okay? So in 1 Samuel chapter 2, we're given a picture of how these guys behaved, including having sex with the women who served in the temple, okay, and treating God's sacrifices with contempt. And so beginning in verse 17, we read that he confronts them. But the problem is, they've already grown up. But listen to what he says. And he said, what he says is good. He says, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. No, my sons, it is no good. It's no good report that I hear of the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against man, God will mediate for him. But, but if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? Now, we know today, don't we? Who can intercede? Jesus Christ. But at this point, Eli is talking to his sons who are not repentant at all all. He says, you know, who can intercede? But they would not listen, it says, to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Yikes. That's going to come around next week. But despite his words, we see he refused to actually do anything. Now you say, well, they were adults. What can he do? Listen, it's very clear that they had not learned to respect their father prior to this. According to scripture, they had put themselves in a position, especially as religious leaders in the community, 
for the actions that they did, they should have been put to death. And in the next chapter, while Samuel's still a child, God gives him prophecy to deliver to Eli. And God says that because Eli refused to restrain his sons in their blasphemy, that, listen, this is so awful, the sins of his household would never be atoned for. That is a terrible sentence. But when Eli hears it, his response makes me sad. He basically just says, hey, if that's what the Lord wants, yeah, I'm sure he'll do what's best. That, that, is a, that is a heartbreakingly passive response. You know, when God told Moses he was planning to destroy the nation of Israel, what did he do? Moses responded by interceding, by begging, pleading God, no, please, if you're going to get rid of them, blot my name out. These are even people that didn't belong to him in the same sense. God relented from judgment, and Eli knew that. But anyway, but instead he was just like, whatever, let them die in sin. What kind of father says that? What kind of father doesn't give a rip about his kid? Very sad, very frustrating. Uh, I would say it's one that doesn't love his sons enough to drive the foolishness out when they're children. Uh, here's, here's a better known character. King David. He was a man after God's own heart, but he was a terrible father. We're going to talk about that. Okay? Remember when his oldest son... Amnon, that's Amnon, that's the right guy. When Amnon violated his half-sister Tamar, who was David's daughter, what did David do about that? Nothing. As far as we know, nothing. 2 Samuel 13 in the Hebrew Old Testament tells us King David, when he heard about the whole affair, became very angry. But then the Septuagint adds, which is interesting, he would not, however, antagonize Amnon, his high-spirited son. He loved him because he was his firstborn. See, now that part is not in the original Hebrew. But I think it's interesting because it seems to fit with what we know about David from later in the Bible. Because when David was on the verge of passing away, remember this, despite the fact that he had already chosen Solomon to be his heir to the throne, we read in 1 Kings that Adonijah, that's the one, exalted himself saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. Now, here's the kicker. His father had never at any time displeased him by saying, why have you done this? Why have you done thus and so? In other words, David had never disciplined his son Adonijah. And as a result, he tried to usurp the, son, the, the throne from David's other son, his brother Solomon, his half-brother. And guess what? He died. Because of his presumptive nature. He died. Now, going back to the story of Amnon and Tamnar, Tamar, um, we, we don't even, we have no evidence of Adonijah uh, being punished uh, or of Amnon being punished. One could argue that David didn't want to punish Amnon for sexual sin because he himself was guilty of a doozy, right? I mean, he, you know, he committed adultery, he covered it up with murder, and to be frank, I've heard, listen, I want you to hear this, parents. I've heard multiple parents give this excuse that they don't feel like they can confront or punish their children for committing similar sins to their own, particularly when they were younger. That's just an excuse. That is all that is. I deeply desire 
that my children avoid the sins that I committed when I was younger. And, and I want, it's because I want to spare them the consequences of those sins, both physically and spiritually. And you better believe they, they will be disciplined if they are caught doing some of the things I used to do. And that's not hypocrisy. I want to remind you guys, sometimes people say, well, that's hypocritical. No, hypocritical is pretending to be something you're not. It's not failing to fully practice what you preach. That's called being human. Okay, big difference. We should try with all our might to practice what we preach, but we're going to fail. That doesn't make you a hypocrite. What makes you a hypocrite is pretending to be something you're not. That's biblical. Anyway, moving on. Um, Got to find my place again. Anyway, I want you to see what happened. So David didn't deal with his kids, so he has one, half, or one full daughter who is violated by her half-brother, and then Absalom, another one of David's sons, kills Amnon for doing that to his sister. Okay? Now, to be fair, Absalom just did what Mosaic law required, and David wouldn't do. And if you know the story of Absalom and how he later tried to take the kingdom away from his father, consider this. Maybe the reason that he tried to usurp his father's throne isn't just ambition, but it's anger over his father's own weakness in not dealing with his children's sins and, and coupled with a, a lack of discipline that is not going to instill any respect. Absalom died too, didn't he? In a horrible way. So how much suffering and bloodshed and sorrow could have been avoided if David had disciplined his children. You know, maybe from an earthly perspective anyway, maybe the motivation for Solomon writing the Proverbs about discipline stemmed from observing his family's failures. And speaking of Proverbs, there's still a couple more about disciplining a child, and they're very close together. Proverbs 29.15 says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. And then only two verses later, we read, discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will bring delight or give delight to your heart. I want to unpack that one first because it, it's really, it's simple. A well-disciplined child will provide rest and delight for you. Now, how so? Because they're terrified of you? No, it's, it's because they will be far more likely to walk with the Lord and to be a blessing to others and to bless you when you're old. You know, appropriate discipline is a loving response. It's intended to mold children in the way that God wants them to be. And please understand, we are referring to proper corporal discipline as opposed to physical abuse, okay? Smacking your child around or being overly harsh in discipline, that, that can result in children. They might do what they're told, but they are likely only going to do it angrily, and they will grow up bitter, they will grow up resentful. Okay? And we're not, we're not just looking for behavior modification. We're looking for the shaping of a child's heart in the way he should go. Judiciously applied discipline to, to the back of the legs and the hiney at a young age is more likely to result in breaking a child's will without breaking their spirit, and that is the goal. Okay? You want your children to be their own individuated person, but you also want them to choose to obey the will of their Father in heaven. Now to address this last sub-point here, just in case you're wondering whether Proverbs is too Old Testament, let's re-examine 
what the author of Hebrews says in chapter 12. We read this earlier. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the, listen, listen, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises everyone that he receives. That's Proverbs he's quoting there. That's, that's from chapter 3. He disciplines every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. The author goes on, God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we, this is the reason, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. A couple of Hebrews, uh, excuse me, Proverbs 25, 17. It seems that discipline can be counted on to produce wise, righteous adults. If we want our children to grow up to know the Lord, we want them to grow up to be good citizens. We need to raise them with discipline, okay? Now, side note, I realize that this may be difficult for those of us that were raised in families that maybe corporal punishment was not applied in a healthy way. Okay, some people are turned off to spanking, not just because of the lies that are prevalent in our culture, but because they had a bad experience with a parent growing up who was maybe a little overzealous, or a lot, overzealous in their discipline. I want you to be encouraged. You are not bound by the mistakes of your father. You are not subject to the sins of your mother in the way that you relate to your children. You do not have to be held back by that. You need to understand that. The Lord will, if you have the Holy Spirit living in you, the Lord will help you to exercise loving, self-controlled discipline on your children, and he will produce God-fearing adults that you can be proud of. I've done a lot of things wrong in my life, but I'm very proud of where my kids are right now. What about the other side of this, uh, this equation, this table? Perhaps the most important question is, is Mark going to take the same amount of time on this one that he did on the first one? <laughs> the answer is no. You can relax. But, but now that we've got the hard subject of discipline out of the way, what does the Bible teach us about instructing our children? We're going to go back to that first proverb we looked at. It says, give instruction to a youth about his way. Even when he is old, he does not turn from it. That's great. So all we have to do is just adequately guide our children to do what's right. <laughs> but how are we going to do that, right? Well, friends, raising a godly child starts with your godly example. No pressure. It starts with you doing what you're supposed to do. And common sense tells us that we, we don't just reproduce what we say. We reproduce who we are. You know, as the old saying goes, actions speak louder than words. So we ought to be very careful in saying, do as I say, not as I do. 
Now, obviously, there, there are some things that are age-appropriate for adults and not kids, but when it comes to general life, if you expect your children to tell you the truth, don't tell them to pretend to be 12 so they can get the child's ticket at the movie or at the, at the buffet or whatever. Don't do that. Don't, and for goodness sake, don't lie to them. You know, side note, one of the seven things, two of the seven things, that Proverbs tells us that God hates have to do with lying. He hates a lying tongue, and he hates a false witness who pours out lies. Honesty is incredibly important. If you want your children to be honest, you need to be honest, okay? If you, if you don't want your children to swear, then, you know, don't let them hear you swear. If you want them to have an even temper, well, don't let them see you lose your temper. You know, even, even if, when that moron cuts you off, you know, whatever. You, listen, if you want them to make attending church a priority, you need to be here. Or wherever, wherever you can be. And if you can't be somewhere, then at least do what you're doing, being online. But you want your kids to follow your example. Be a good example. All right. Start by modeling who you want them to be. When, when it comes to what you actually teach them, your behavior should be informed by the same source that you went to for their edification. Okay? In one of his letters to his protege, Timothy, uh, we see Paul saying, from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now I want you to pause there for a second. Remember this. Jesus' disciples were still his disciples before they all believed in him. Remember that. They were already being discipled before they believed. And while your child may not you know, necessarily have all their theological ducks in a row, so to speak, your goal in teaching them is primarily to bring them to salvation in Jesus Christ. And that means understanding the gospel message about the Son of God, how Jesus came into the world and died on the cross to pay his, the, the price for our sins, and how he, he was buried, he rose from the dead, and how we've got eyewitness testimony of the whole thing right here in the Bible. And, and, and it was all foretold also, right here in the Bible. Uh, and, and so the need to believe this is vast. So you need to just, not just teach your kids what is right, teach them to believe in who is right. Who Jesus is, what God did through him, that's the gospel message. Continuing, all scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. So instructing them is to be done in God's word because everything necessary, not, not just for salvation, but, but for, for growth and wisdom and righteousness, it's all contained right here. And so then bringing them to church, is that the extent of their theological education? Is bringing your child to church the extent of their theological education? Thank you. No. No. Church is supposed to be the supplement, the vitamin to the meals of faith that you should be serving your children every day in your home. I love how God spoke to the Israelites about this subject. I'm sure you're familiar with what Jesus called the greatest commandment, right? 
It's in Deuteronomy 6. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He goes on to say, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And that's fantastic stuff. But do you know what comes right after that? He says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them to your children diligently and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Notice that the word tabernacle or synagogue or temple are conspicuously absent. It is your duty not the priest's, not the preacher's primary job to raise your child in the Lord. It's your job. And that's done by consistently and intentionally feeding your child the word as you go with him through every phase of the day and every stage of life. That's our job, friends. It's so important. Moses didn't just say it here in Deuteronomy 6. He reiterated it almost verbatim in Deuteronomy 11. So it's the word of God. It's his commands that we need to be faithfully teaching our children in order for, for them to be properly instructed in life. But let's not forget, okay, and this is key, knowing the word isn't enough. Satan knows the word of God. He quoted it to Jesus, trying to get him to sin. But we need to teach our children that they are to live in obedience to both us and to the Lord. And this, right here, this is where a whole lot of these threads kind of, the, the message will start to weave together. Right here. here here's our tie-in to the need for physical discipline. If our kids only hear, but they don't obey, that puts them in Satan's camp. Did you catch that? No matter what they're taught, if they're not being obedient to what they're taught, they are in the wrong camp. And if they can't learn to obey us, their parents, their God-given authorities in their lives, how are they going to learn to obey God? If they rebel against us, how will they not rebel against their Heavenly Father? Teaching them obedience is really a necessity because Jesus commanded it. You know, most of us are familiar with this passage um, we're about to read. It's the main part of which we got both the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. Oh, yeah, I love Love your neighbors yourself. Sorry, I didn't say that earlier. But we have the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. And one message here, so bear with me. I love this. It, it's, it's, it's called the Great Co-Mission. It's a co-mission. Us together in mission with God. Together in mission, okay? So Jesus gave this commission to his disciples, and it provides a blueprint for making more disciples. And who, who has a more important role in making disciples than godly parents who are trying to raise godly children. Who has more influence? Who has more input? Who could possibly be more liable for how they handle or mishandle that responsibility? Let's go there. This, this is our last passage today, so I'm going to ask you, why don't you flip there? Go to Matthew 28, verse 19. Matthew 28, 19. Jesus told his followers, and if you're his follower today, this applies to you. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And then he goes on to encourage them, saying, Behold, I am with you until the end of the age. Friends, this is our job as parents. For our kids, for our children, and to some extent for our grandchildren, we need to do what Jesus commands of us, making disciples of our kids. How does Jesus tell us to do that? He gives us two things. Real simple. Simply simply said, anyway. First of all, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, obviously, that is a decision that they should make when they place their faith in Him. But we parents ought to do everything in our power to promote their understanding of the need to be baptized when they have faith. Okay, just, just as we help them make other choices that are beneficial to them, it's our job as parents to encourage this step in their spiritual walk. There's, there's no biblical reason to wait. I never understand that. I know people say, well, I want to know if they get it. I'm not sure I got it. And I got baptized twice, friends. <laughs> once at 11 and once again at 16 or 17, I forget. And still I'm learning stuff all the time. Okay? There's no reason to wait, but every biblical reason to be obedient to this command. Get your children baptized. Second, teach them to observe all that Jesus has commanded. Even before they're old enough to fully understand the gospel, they are old enough to understand the need to obey you under that morality that God has ordained for all mankind. Honesty, kindness, obedience, forgiveness, those are all things, that's all part of what we teach to children, even before they they know where those commands originate. And as they grow, we we teach them the commands of Christ, we teach them more specifically, and and we help them to grasp why it's important for them to follow him. Um, The last sub-point here is really simple, but it's very important. We need to instruct our children on listening and learning humbly because this is going to be with them. It's going to be important for them for the rest of their lives. After you're gone, you know, I'm not just talking about when they move out of the house. I'm talking about once you did, okay? They're still going to need to know how to learn and how to listen humbly. You you can't be fully responsible for, for what your children do once they're adults, but you can. You can be responsible for how well you've equipped them to grow in their spiritual walk once you don't have that same level of input. And part of that is right here. We teach them by modeling this in our own lives. We teach them by by listening to other mature believers and by being submissive to Scripture and to the spiritual authorities that that, that God has has placed us under. And if, if we can instill these values of listening and of learning with humility, if we, can, if we can get that in their heads when they're young and in their hearts, that we can trust that they will keep growing even after our influence on them has far, far lessened. Even after we're completely gone. And that is, that's a wonderful blessing to know as a parent. You, know, you, you can turn your children over to the Lord, not in desperation, You can turn your children over to the Lord knowing that you did your best. Turning them over with gratitude, knowing that that you have given them the tools 
to walk in his will. But in order to raise children in Christ, you first need to be in Christ. So I guess my question this morning for all of you is, is are you in Christ? And if you have trusted Christ with yourself, have you truly trusted Christ with your kids? It's hard to do. But we gotta. So that, that's our invitation, guys. If you have not yet trusted in Jesus Christ this morning, you have an opportunity. And yes, it's still morning, in case anybody was wondering. You can do it this morning. You can give your life to Christ. You can profess faith in him and be baptized according to his word. You can do that today. And if you've already done that and you're like, you know what, I, I'm, I'm looking for a church family. I think I found it. I'm already a baptized believer. I'm already trying to walk with the Lord. But, but I want to be a part of a body of Christ that, that tries to follow his word, even in the places where it might be controversial and even where it might cause some offense. I still want to do that. If that's you this morning, you can join today. Or if you're just... You know, last, last week we had a powerful experience when one of our friends came up and he asked for prayer for his family who's not believing. And so many of us know that feeling. We have friends and family who don't believe. And we bowed together and prayed. If you just need prayer or prayer for a specific person, don't, don't hesitate. You have the chance this morning. This is why we're here, friends. Bless you.